Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy. I'm a neurodiverse software developer turned startup founder, building habit and focus software for people with ADHD. My cool party trick is leaving parties early, so I get to sleep on time to do my three-hour-long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode 16 of the Focus and Chill podcast. We're lucky to have with us today Simon Rin, who is a husband and father of two based in Queensland's Sunshine Coast. Simon is also the founder of Mindful Men, a therapy practice that is dedicated to supporting men with mental illness and disability. Simon's passion for mental health comes from living with obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, depression, anxiety, burnout throughout the last 30 years. 2022 marks 10 years since Simon finally opened up and got help for mental illness, and he shares his story to inspire other men to share theirs. Welcome to the show, Simon. No, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and, and share some of my story with the audience. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to hear about, in terms of it being 10 years or almost 11 years, what kind of changes have you experienced in terms of your OCD and, and some of the other mental health challenges that you've had and how did it affect your life before seeking help originally? Oh, wow. That's a huge question. <laughs> huge question to start off at 6 a.m. in the morning. Um, <laughs> over the last 11 years, it's been a bit of a, a roller coaster of recovery. Um, certainly the hardest thing was actually going into the doctors 11 years ago and saying, I think I've got a mental health issue, <clears throat> you know, not knowing exactly what that meant, you know, 11 years ago for me, because it's not something that I've really grown up knowing a lot about. And so, you know, I choked on the words as they came out, but then after that, it just, things just got easier every time I spoke about what was going on inside. And, and I've seen over the last 11 years, psychologists and psychiatrists, counselors, a mental health social worker. I've been in all sorts of different medications through all sorts of different therapies. Um, but I found finally kind of landed on one that that's really fits with my, I guess, life and that's mindfulness. And I've, I guess I've used that lived experience of both not talking about things for 20 years and then talking about things for 10 years to start up my own private practice called Mindful Men. And, and as you said, like I'm really passionate about the men's space because I know how hard from personal experience it is to open up and talk about things. And, and I'm sure we'll go into some of the things like, uh, you know, through the, through the episode. 
Um, but yeah, it has certainly been a struggle. And and even though that I'm still, you know, I, I classify this period as recovery period, and recovery can be, you know, three months or it could be 30 years. Um, you know, I still have my ups and downs. It's not as if I'm healed or anything like that, but I certainly have more tools in my toolkit in terms of being able to cope and manage on a day-to-day basis. That's great to hear. And I think that's important to to talk about the the challenges in getting help because I imagine even 11 years ago, there might have been a bit more stigma at that point than there is now. Well, absolutely. And I think for men particularly, like there's a lot of shame and stigma still even to this day around having to harden up and to be a man and to don't be so soft. But when you're living with a mental illness or disability as well, like, you know, things aren't normal you know quotes unquote and so you you've really got to be a ha- be comfortable in your own skin to be fo- able to finally open up and get help and then once you do though like some of that stigma and shame just drops away providing that you're doing it with a, someone that you trust and respect and feel safe with as well yeah that that would be really key did you find the health professionals that you saw immediately they were empathetic and they were willing to listen yeah absolutely and i think my struggle, and I, and I see this with a lot of guys that I work with, but also, you know, people that I talk with as well that have gone through their own therapy process, you know, the first psychologist I saw was the one where I got all the diagnoses and and could start to understand myself. But then I dropped in and out of therapy for a long time, not really finding good connections with different people. And I tried different styles of therapists. Um but yeah, certainly the last couple psychologists and the and a mental health social worker that I've seen, I've really gelled with them. And and when I gel with them, I really start to take on what they're saying to me. And and I'm as I get older, I guess I'm a little bit more committed to the cause as well. So I'm more willing to do the homework that I need to do at home as opposed to just walking into a therapy clinic and hoping someone just waves a magic wand and fixes me. Mm. Yeah. In, in terms of you spoken about how you you got into recovery there, what what was it like prior to that in the the twenty years prior? Mm, so I developed what's called obsessive compulsive disorder around eight years old, and for anyone who's not familiar with that obsessive compulsive disorder, it it's it's under the umbrella of anxiety conditions. But I guess if you consider it compared to other just generalized anxiety or social anxiety it really takes the brain into a whole bunch of weird and scary um, directions as well. And so just to define it, it's, it's, it starts with an obsessive thought um, that can be quite intrusive and, and can be quite distressing as well. And so the only way to t- kind of alleviate the distress that comes with that in an OCD person is to perform what's called a compulsive act or a compulsion or a behaviour. So you get the thought and then you you negate the thought with a behavior. And it's a disorder because we're doing this for over an hour a day and it's quite distressing as well. So there's a time limit on it as well. It's not just something that just floats in every now and then and then you're and you go and you hear a lot of people say, I'm I'm so OCD or I'm I'm a little bit OCD. And like, well, if they actually knew what OCD was, they wouldn't be saying that because nobody wants to live with OCD essentially. And so it started for me in a schoolyard. I was eight years old and a student came up to me and said, Simon, if you stop using your voice for more than a minute, you're going to lose your voice forever. Now, most people would laugh that off or they would say, no, that's not going to happen. But I took that as gospel. And so what I did, that was the obsessive thought that came in my mind. 
the only way I knew how to alleviate that thought was to start humming to myself. So every minute or so, I'd, I would do like a little uh, little hum, like a hmm, hmm, just checking that my voice was still there. And I would do it ever so quietly that nobody ever picked up that I was doing this. And I was doing this all day, every day for about two years. And I didn't know how to talk about it either because, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and in northern suburbs of Adelaide, of old places, so it's quite a masculine environment. There's a lot of, you know, lower socioeconomic, you know, households, a lot of people in trades and services roles. And, and so mental health discussions weren't first and foremost on every, on anyone's mind back then. And so I learned not to talk about things and I bottled this up. And then as I grew, grew older, that humming thing turned into obsessive checking of the houses. So when I was around 13, 14 years old, mum and dad separated and I, me and my little brother moved out with my mum and I became what I thought, well, I self-imposed this this notion that I was the man of the house because in the 80s and 90s, you know, there was always a man of the house where I grew up and everyone knew who that was and all of a sudden I became it. And so I would spend maybe two, three, four hours every single night checking up the house was locked because I was worried that someone was going to break into the house, steal our stuff or kidnap us, murder us, whatever it was, something really nasty and so I'd go to every single window, every single door. I'd have to make sure that the windows were all closed, the drapes were all, you know, the curtains were all draped appropriately so that no one could peer inside. I'll be checking gates outside, even in the middle of winter and pouring rain. I'd be out there, you know, touching things and, and you know, moving things, trying to hear different clicks, trying to hear different sounds, trying to hear different feelings as well when I'm touching the door to make sure everything was just right. And the notion of just right is is quite big in the OCD world because you do you need you do these perform these behaviors. Well, you know, I was just about to say performances because they almost are, and you have to do it until a point when things are just right. And once things are just right, you can kind of move on to the next thing. And so for me, the checking behavior, I'd go through the house and then I'd even extend it to the electrical appliances because I was worried that the house would burn down. Um, so that'd be checking the stove was off, the iron was off, nothing was going to burn anything. And I'd get to bed and then my brain would say, Simon, did you check that window or that door? Or Simon, when you did check that window or door, you know, it's a bit windy outside. Maybe the wind just kind of popped it open or something. Or, or maybe in the act of touching the door, it popped open after you walked away. And so off I go again. And it wouldn't just be to that door. It would be the whole cycle again. You have to do with the whole cycle. And so that that particular issue I still live with today. And I'm, you know, 40 years old this year. And um, it's not as bad as it was in my teenage years. And I was doing it for hours and hours and hours in my teenage years. And I don't do that as much. But I still find myself doing these behaviours as well as, as, a, as a habit. Um, I am getting better with it. I've got some tools that I use through my therapy to try and, you know, to, to, to try and negate that every night that I do it now. But back then I didn't have those tools. And so all I knew to do was to do this checking behavior. And then it extended to my car. So I have to check the handbrakes are on, like when, you know, particularly if I'm on a slight hill, um, lights are all off, all sorts of weird and wonderful things, things around my wallet, my phone, my keys, um, checking you know, at school, at university, even at, in the workplace when I you know, eventually got a job. And my whole life centres around checking things. And so is everything right? Is everything just right in whatever you know, way it needs to be? And so 
even the, went to the first psychologist and well, first few psychologists, and they and I said I've got these behaviours, and they diagnosed me. And but we focus a lot on the depression and the anxiety that also often associates with OCD. And no one really addressed the OCD until I actually actively sought out someone for my OCD issues. And that was only a couple of years ago now, but up here on the Sunshine Coast, where I was introduced to exposure response prevention, which is the gold standard for OCD um, therapy. And the act, the the idea is that you purposely expose yourself to triggers with a therapist and then the idea is to try and sit with that anxiety or the the pressure that comes up from those obsessive thoughts but not before the behavior so you want to prevent the response to the to the thoughts and since I've started looking into that and and practicing that and using that in my own you know home and and stuff like that that's when I've seen the greatest I guess change to the OCD um but it also correlates with my age because, you know, as I got older, I get, as I get older and now I'm a social worker and I have my own private practice, I'm more willing, as I said before, to to walk the walk and talk the talk, not just talk the talk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been a long time coming and, and lots of things have happened. But, yeah, that's been my journey for OCD for, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing that. That sounds important for people to hear that in terms of the treatment method that you followed not just doing the treating the depression and anxiety but helping with the ocd directly as well yeah and you've spoken a little bit about the the work that you do these days in terms of your work with mindful men do you want to share a bit more about what you do with that and how you help people yeah absolutely so it's been a long time coming so when i first finished my undergrad degree i ended up in the public service so i was uh, in Australian public service for 15 years. And I noticed through that time, a lot of um, perfectionist traits were coming up. And I think that was an extension of the OCD being everything had to be just right for me to perform in my various roles over my career. But eventually, I always wanted to work in in the mental health space. And I remember actually like finishing high school and saying to myself, Simon, I, I want to work with people just like me. But I didn't really know how to do that. You know, at the, I remember at the end of high school in, in South Australia, you'd get a big fat book of, of university courses and you have to go through there. And none of my family had been to university and I didn't know anyone who'd been to university. So I was just flipping through and trying to find the course that jumps out to me. And I started a social science degree and well, I, did, I did, didn't just start it, but I finished it. But I started with a focus on psychology because that was the only way I knew how to help people just like me. I was never going to be a GP or a a psychiatrist. My grades weren't good enough, but I got into a social science degree and we could do a major in psychology. But then I got halfway through that and the math component of that, the statistics just shot me in the foot because I was terrible at maths. And and so I dropped out of that and ended up just finishing with a generalist degree, did anthropology, 15 years in the public service. But then as I got a bit older, I started getting a bit stale in that job or that career. And I wanted to kind of, you know, enliven the mind. And so I, I decided to go back and do some study. And I, and I found a master's of social work um, that I could do. And I could do that in the, in the afternoons after work and on the weekends and do that part time. It was going to take, it took four years to do it part time, a two year degree. Um, but yeah, I landed on social work. And through that, I found this idea of becoming an accredited mental health social worker. And after after the degree finished in 2021, I was really in a bad space with my old career. And I said, no, this is the time 
that I'm going to jump out of that old career and jump into a private practice, which I've always wanted to have my own business as well. And I'm going to work towards that accreditation because it's two years after your degree to get the accreditation. And that's what I'm doing. I, I somehow managed to to swing a few things. We it, It's funny how it came about, actually, because um, we, were, we actually had a deposit down for a brand new car. And because of COVID, there was no new cars coming into Australia. And so we're getting a bit annoyed and, and frustrated. So I said to my wife, oh, let's just spend half the money get a second-hand car, which I love, we, which is what we did, and then put that money to me actually starting this business. And that's what we did. So we had half this money towards the business. And now, so Mindful Men is, has become, it started off as, a, as a, I guess, a social media platform for me telling my story around mental health, but I've taken that, extended that into a therapy business now. And so I work with guys across Australia, um, either telehealth or on in person on here on the Sunshine Coast, and we do private mental health practice in what's called acceptance and commitment therapy and a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, but also work with guys on the NDIS as well with psychosocial disability um, or, or not necessarily just psychosocial disability, but, you know, disability in general. And we use the same practices from the mindfulness practices from from acceptance and commitment therapy to, to use our five senses to overcome things like anxiety, OCD, anger, you know, depression, whatever it is to ground ourselves in a moment, be more present with the people around us. Because um, often when we live with, you know, I guess, various conditions, we're not very present. We're often on different planets. Um, so that's quite useful. But also like, it extends to identifying our personal values. And, and so I work with a lot of guys on who they are as people because often they're living life on autopilot. And to break free of that and to be more present, they need to be mindful of what, what their values are. So is it is it love? Is it friendship? Is it trust, respect? And then how can they use those values to guide decision-making in everyday life? So if they wake up in the morning and go, I don't know what to do today, well, it's like, well, what would your values tell you? What can you do today that lives by your values? And, and you know, often it's things like going for you know, exercise or socialising or going to work and being productive. It's it's all these types of things. And once the guys tune into this type of stuff, they become, I guess, more authentic in their being and they take off the mask of mental illness or disability and I say, this is me, this is who I am. And they start redefining their life. They redefine their social circles. They 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 drop people that are toxic in their life or, or careers that are toxic. And they start to live with greater purpose. And, and so, yeah, that's what I've been doing now since August last year. And, and um, business is picking up, which is fantastic. And, yeah, I really love it. And finally, I'm, I'm doing the thing that I always wanted to do, although it took me, yeah, 15, 16 years to get to this space. So It's fantastic really inspiring to hear you being able to do things in a way that is congruent with your own values and helping other mm. people as well. Yeah, definitely. What do you get up to when you're not working? <laughs> working as a small business owner, there's pretty much just work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you know, the, the business isn't just therapy. So I've got a, a podcast myself, I've got the Mindful Men podcast. So I spend a lot of time interviewing people across the world around different things that have some sort of influence on on men's culture as well. So I love doing that. It's a bit of a passion project for mine. Um, I'm a dad as well, so I've got two little kids. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and my son's just taken up soccer, which is fantastic because I grew up playing sport and and you know I've been you know, one of those dads have been looking forward to this day for a very long time and he's finally got it out of the toddler years and he's like kicking balls around and and the other night we watched soccer for the first time on TV together which usually it's just me on the couch because my wife absolutely hates sport but um yeah it's it's been really nice so 
So aside from business and and family life, that that's pretty much my the extent of what I get up to outside of work. Mm. Um, and I'm actively actually at the moment trying to find more balance in that space because I have been a, a bit of a workaholic trying to get the business up and running and not being present with the family. And so what I'm actually doing at the moment is I'm starting to outsource some of my work. So, for example, the podcast, I used to edit that and upload all that type of stuff. So now I outsource that to a virtual assistant, which gives me more time to spend with the family on the weekends where I'm not feeling like I have to look at my computer and do some work on the computer. So so that's a little thing that I'm doing at the moment. But aside from that, we just try to get out. We, we you know, living on the Sunshine Coast, we have, you know, a beautiful place in the world to go to the beach or, you know, up into the hinterland. And we just try to get outside as much as possible. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, for people outside of Australia, the Sunshine Coast is definitely one of the most scenic spots and mm. best weather in Australia. Absolutely. <laughs> How about the guitar and you've got the footy behind you? Do you, do you strum the guitar at all? I used to. And this was interesting because, like, I got my guitar when in my teenage years, actually, and I found it quite useful for for anxiety management, although I didn't recognise that at the time. Like, I'd often feel like if I was angry or, or something like that, I'd, I'd strum the guitar for, I don't know, an hour or so, sing some songs, and I'd feel better. But it didn't really click until recently when I've been going through my social work degree. These days it gets a bit more dust than it does anything else. Um, and it's probably something I need to focus on. And it reminds me, I put it there as a reminder that I need to be creative. Like I love creativity. Mm-hmm. And like when I was in school, I used to, you know, draw a lot and 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 just be creative as much as possible. But then as you become an an up an adult, you know, you, those things tend to drop away. And so it, it sits there as a reminder that I do need to do more creative stuff. And I have been, I uh, have um, cleaned it up lately and started playing again, which is really cool. And the 40 is a reminder of, you know, things that I, I'm passionate about. So I love, and I grew up in Adelaide, so I love AFL footy. And, you know, I love kicking the balls around and playing soccer and basketball. There's a basketball there as well. And and just being active. So often, I, you know, with, with my son, we'll go out and kick balls around and stuff like that. So they're just reminders that, I need to be more active and be more mindful as well on the weekends and not everything's not just work. So, yeah, I can relate to business becoming all encompassing, but great to hear you've got some things that you do apart from that. In terms of the way that you you structure your day, what do you do in the morning? Do you have a, a morning routine that you follow most days or is it a bit more free form? It's free form, <laughs> completely free form. And I think I like that because with obsessive compulsive disorder, if, if habits become too too much, like they like I have to do things in certain ways, otherwise my brain would be like, no, you're doing everything wrong. You're a failure as a person. And so I don't really like a lot of routine where I don't need routine. And so, but in the mornings though, like I do find, you know, I do like to go for a run. So um, I try to get out for a run a few times a week just to to reset the mind because often my brain will be in brain fog or, you know, might be feeling stressed or anxious. But when I go for a run and I come back, I just feel just freer in the in the thoughts that I've got and a bit more clarity of mind. So that is a bit of a, a weekly routine. I don't try to do it every single day because my wife also goes to the gym in the morning. So we've got to balance the, the parenting duties. But if I can get out a few times a week, that just kind of sets me up for a, the, the the day and maybe even the next day as well, because it does have that longer lasting things. Um, but also, I guess at nighttime, like if I was to switch it around to nighttime, trying to to be less on my phone and 
and you know trying to pick up books more often and i'm a sl- terrible slow reader but you know even just one one page in the evening kind of helps me get to sleep so that when i wake up in the morning i'm not feeling so drowsy and and not wanting to do anything so yeah mm. yeah that makes sense and i i can testify to the positive effect of running as well definitely makes a difference <laughs> for me. it does yeah mm. Do you have any tactics that you use when you're at work in terms of optimizing your productivity? This is a really hard thing because, you know, and, and I reflected on my career with this, like with the OCD and the perfectionist traits, I'd spend a lot of time trying to get everything I did just right. And I saw everything that I did as a signature of my work. So, you know, if I'm doing a, a lazy job or or something like that, a lazy report, lazy email, it comes across like that. And, and but what happened though is that I, I ended up burning out. So 2020, I burnt out completely and had to take five months off of work. And, and through the recovery process of that, I kind of started embracing this concept of what's called wabi sabi. And it's this Japanese concept of, and basically it's the beauty and imperfection. And so what I'm trying to do these days is not be so perfect with everything and just kind of go with the flow a little bit more and, and drop some of the anxieties and of having too much control so i'm trying to to let go of control and so you know it was easier to have routine in my old job because people would tell me what i needed to do when i needed to do it but as a small business owner <laughs> your day is just full up with and i'm the only one in my business as well so i've got to do everything um, aside from the couple of things that i've outsourced but i'm working with a few coaches at, at the moment just trying to to embrace the embrace the process and not just the outcomes as well so it's, it, my days can be a really bit they're like a washing machine actually you know there's no real routine but i have got scheduled appointments that i, I need to attach and i just put them in my calendar and it's and it's interesting when i first started the business i had four calendars because i was stressed i was going to miss something so i'd be recording my day my daily work in four different calendars both written and computer but then, as I've gone through business a little bit more, I've just been been a little a bit more relaxed. Now I've only got two calendars, um, and and then the end, the goal by the end of the year is just to have one one calendar. Um, but yeah, it is really just go with the flow, and I think that's really important for someone like me who has lived so much life in in strict routines in my brain um, through the obsessive compulsive, you know, checking behaviors as well. So for me, I'm embracing this period of just embracing the chaos really um and i think it's helpful being a dad because life as a dad is is chaos when you've got two kids <laughs> so i'm bringing some of that into my business as well it's really interesting that dynamic there because I, I guess i tend to be on the more chaotic side and for me structure is really important but coming from your history with ocd it's almost that you have to do the opposite and mix mm. things up a little bit do you find yeah. that the people that you work with is that often a, a trend as well? That they um, need to back away f- from some of the behaviors that were a bit compulsive? Um, not so much. The guys that I work with, none of them have OCD. They they report that they've got OCD, but I don't certainly see it in I mean and, and OCD does present in different ways as well. So it's, I'm really mindful of that. It's not just checking behaviors and and often there's a bit of misconception that OCD is just washing your hands a lot and and making sure everything's neat and tidy. I mean, I wash my hands the normal way of everybody else would wash their hands, and my house is looks like a tornado's hit it because I've got young kids, and I embrace that like it's it's fine. So OCD for me is not those traits. OCD for me is the checking and the security behaviors, and so 
there's a few guys that say they might have OCD traits and I just work with them in whatever way that is. But for the guys that I do work with, I think it's one of the key things I'm trying to do with them is just break out of autopilot. So they're on autopilot. They're just living day to day as they have done for 20, 30 years or, or less, you know, for some of them. But just breaking out of that autopilot and going, okay, how can we just be more present in the here and now? How can we just use those values that we we're talking about earlier to set goals and live with greater purpose? And I think that's where the guys have been really struggling. They haven't had purpose or they've lost their purpose. They're so caught up in their minds, some of them, that they're focusing on a future event or, or a past event and they can't break free from those cycles. So it's more around not so much routines, although some some of the guys, particularly in the NDIS space, routine can be a bit of a challenge in terms of coming to appointments, remembering appointments. So we do a lot of work on memory and how can they have external motivators to remind them to do things like do they need a calendar next to their computer or, or on their fridge or do they need phone reminders to, to say, oh, I've got this appointment today. Um, I need to speak to Simon today. We've got our appointment because sometimes I rock up and they're not there or, or phone them up. They're not there. And that's okay. Like that's, that's, that's life. And I always say to them, like, if you need to cancel, don't come to appointment, just say like, because life happens and it's really important that they embrace that and they, they work through what they've got to work through and they're, and they're not so strict. And if Simon's got an appointment, that's the only thing I can do. Like, like they need, there's, there's flexibility on both sides and and that's really important particularly in the, the that NDIS space where everything can happen all at once and it became can become quite all-consuming and and too much and and overwhelming that's what we're not wanting to achieve we're actually trying to do the opposite in therapy is is, is create calm and and flexible mm. thinking as well and and that's the things that we're working on with the guys yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and I I noticed that I did get a few reminders for our appointment today to do the recording. <laughs> Appreciated that. You spoke a little bit about how you switch off at night in terms of reducing your tech usage and reading a, was it a physical book that you? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm still in the physical space. I, I just don't see, I love just having a book and then having it when I finish, eventually finish it because it takes a long time having it on my bookshelf. And mm. so I could just see it as, as an accomplishment and, and you know, your physical touch. I, I'm not a big fan of the Kindles and, and, and the likes of the, of the world. I'm a bit old school in that space. And I think there's something unique about having a book in your hand that you're changing, you're, you're touching. And this is, I guess, the mindfulness of reading as, as well. It's like the books that I get, they're all different textures on, on the covers and, and the pages all feel differently and they look differently. So it's a really good mindfulness technique to to, to read a physical book, for me anyway, um, mm-hmm. compared to if I was using a, like a Kindle or something like that where books all tend to look the same and, and it just feels too techy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, yeah, more old school in those physical books. Yeah, same here. I, I do use a Kindle during the day, but in the evening I like to read a physical book as well. Mm-hmm. Are you yeah. reading hard copy? Couple of books that they've got different textures and yeah, absolutely, yeah, different, different. It's weird, even some like the soft, you know, the soft cover ones as well. They've got different textures as well, and some of them I don't like. And 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 you know, we all has our have our different sensory needs as well. But some of them are really nice, just to yeah, just to, even just to look at and 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 see it. But yeah, it's really uh really something I get into, but very slowly. Like I might be a one page a night kind of guy. Um, mm. 
and sometimes I pick some really thick books, which is probably not <laughs> not great for if you're just reading one page a night. But that other night, other other nights, I'll be doing 10, 10 pages or so. But that's probably my limit, and then I fall asleep. And it's great for me because I struggle with sleep as well. Mm. Um, it's it's just a great way to to slow everything down. And then mm. I finally know when I'm about to go to sleep because I'm reading the same sentence about <laughs> 10 times. <laughs> yeah. What type of books are they normally that you're reading? Uh, old sorts. Like at, more recently it's been the kind of in that self-help area because I, I, one of my goals is to write my own self-help books as well. And so mm. I'm reading one at the moment that was recommended by Rob Mills on my podcast and it's um called sand talks so it's around indigenous culture and how indigenous can, culture can help us see the world in different ways so that's something i'm reading i've just started reading that but the one i read before that was chasing excellence by um ben bergeron he's a crossfit trainer but he and it goes through him training these crossfit athletes in a, in a way that was mindful so he brings in a lot of mindfulness into it and and I, I loved it because some of the stuff that he talks about it's like it's not all about reps and what you eat and all that type of stuff it's actually around how can you live with greater purpose in life and and use those in in both your passions but also your work as well it's a really easy read as well it's great great read so mm, awesome both of those sound really interesting you mentioned that reducing tech usage in the evening is a big priority for you. Do you have any tactics that you can share with the audience around that? It's a battle, like, you know, like everything in the world. But I've been trying to put my phone down just more often and, and away from me. So I just leave it in the kitchen if I can and then just walk away. Some nights I'll go to bed and and I do find myself scrolling. But so there's other nights where I just go, okay, I'm just going to put this down because I know I'm tired. The reason I came to bed was tired. So a lot of self-talk in my head. But I also got this really cool tip from from someone else, and they he said basically, <clears throat> if you're not going to set your alarm at five o'clock in the morning to do whatever this tech task is, whether it's watching TV or scrolling through your phone, why would you do it? At, like, why would you stay up all night doing that and 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 ruin your sleep cycles? So, so I'm just embracing that as well. Going well, I'm not going to be doing this at five a.m. in the morning. Why do I need to do this at nine o'clock at night? And then mm. using that using that as an internal motivator to go, okay, I actually need to go to sleep now. And so I put the phone down. But we do, I do use a lot of white noise to go to sleep. And 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 this comes out from parenting, actually. A lot of parents use white noise to help their children get to sleep. Um, mm. And I find myself now, at, at first, I'm like, that just sounds ridiculous. Why would anyone do that before I became a parent? But then as I became a parent and I'm sitting there with my children, yeah, listening to the white noise is actually quite a comforting thing. And so I find by putting that on instead of looking through my phone, I can tune into the sound of the white noise or whatever noise is coming out of the speaker. And it just helps me to to be present in that moment and and to help me to to drift off to work to sleep. So when you say the speaker, is it a, a standalone white noise generator or an app on your phone? No, it, well, it's an app on the phone, but the, it just comes through. We just hook it up to the UE Boom oh, yeah. and it gives a nice um, nice tune. But I am working with a guy who got a dedicated sleep machine, mm. and that's got this amazing low-frequency, like, drum sound to it. <laughs> that I'm, I, When I heard it, I'm just like, oh, this is, like, white noise to the next level. Like, it was <laughs> so cool, and I'm like, I want to sleep in this with this thing, but – but they're quite expensive. So, yeah, we're just using a free app um, that mm. we, we connect up with Bluetooth to a speaker and, um, yeah, it, it does the job. So Yeah. 
I used one of the Spotify soundtracks at one point, but then started playing ads at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not the thing you want. <laughs> no. No, I've got a I've got an air purifier which has a bit of a, a white noise effect, but I do wonder about having a more dedicated one. Sometimes my upstairs neighbor can be a bit noisy and it's good to be able to drown that out. <laughs> it is, it is. And it's it's so good for drumming it out. And yeah, mm. like every night now I'd use it. So good little ritual. You've given us two books that you'd recommend. Are there any other resources in terms of philosophies, apps, or sensory toys or anything like that that you'd recommend for people? Mindset is huge. I follow a dad on on Instagram and Facebook, and he always says, just be 1% better today than you were yesterday. So it has this compounding effect, and it's really achievable, like 1% each day in whatever aspect, whether it's fitness, whether it's parenting, whether it's work, just set small goals and, and you'll find that they, they're achievable. And over time, you'll you'll achieve great things and big things as well. So for me, it's around mindset and not so much resources because, you know, different books, you know, they jump out different people, different things, you know, sensory issues. You know, they all jump out to different people in different ways. But I find mindset is huge because mindset for me is also the thing that keeps guys in therapy or it even gets them into therapy as well. Um, or it gets them to change careers if they're in a career that they they don't like, or or to change social circles if if they're doing that, or to change addiction. It's all around mindset. So if you can, you know, I follow this guy on Instagram and Facebook because I you know it's easy for me to digest as well. I don't like to sit there and read lots of big heavy. You know, I did that through uni. I don't really want to do that now that I'm you know out of uni. Um, but certainly there are things out there if you, you know, podcasts are great, something like this, something like this, this kind of podcast where it motivates us to talk about things like mental illness or disability or whatever and and consume just good stuff, like consume stuff that is interesting and, and it's insightful and it's going to get you to change your mindset and change your maybe the beliefs that you're not good enough or the beliefs that you're not man enough because you're broken or whatever rubbish that you know that often gets fed into our brain particularly by mainstream media start switching that start switching it for good podcasts good books um good facebook or instagram or social media um you know channels or or creators as well because the more you can you know surround yourself with good stuff and the more easier it is as well to change that mindset and once you do that then you can go leaps and bounds and wherever you want to go in life yeah absolutely completely agree there and your your podcast mindful men and your i imagine you put an instagram page as well they'd Mm -hmm. be good places to to start getting those small doses of mindset shifts absolutely where can people find those resources? Is that mindfulmen.com, is it? Yeah, so it's mindful-men.com.au. That's the website. And that links to both my therapy. So if anyone's in Australia wants to do therapy with me, happy to, to connect with you there. Or also links to the social media and the podcast as well. So, um, you know, the Mindful Men podcast is in, in most apps and 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 it's also on youtube We've got snips on tiktok as well just trying to spread the awareness of being mindful across whatever platform i can come across um, but yeah head to the website and that'll direct you where you need to go awesome any final words or asks for our audience um i like to always always say this like in most podcasts that i come on is just that it's okay to be not okay 
you know, a lot of us, and particularly men, we grew up in in periods of time where it wasn't okay to talk about our feelings and emotions and and what's going on. It wasn't okay to talk about mental illness or disability, you know, for various reasons. And a lot of that's perpetrated by things like, you know, old school patriarchy, old school, you know, toxic masculinity. These are big things that people are talking about at the moment. But I think just recognize that it's okay to be not okay. It doesn't make you mean you're a broken person or that you're you're a bad person or anything like that. Because once you start talking about things and 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 you've got to find someone who you trust and respect to talk about things initially. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be your friend, family member that you you respect and trust um, and feel safe with. Once you start talking about things, it just gets easier every other time that you do it. Just like exercising, the more you can go for a run, the the longer you can go. It's like training your brain and your body to start talking and going, you know what, I'm not okay. Maybe I'm burnt out. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I have OCD. Don't really know it. Um, just recognize that and then and then start to seek help You know, from different people. And if you can't find that from a friend or family member initially, your GP is a great person to start with because they have heard lots of different stories like this and then they can direct you to therapists or or to resources that can really help you. And so just want guys to recognise that it's okay to be not okay and it doesn't mean they're weak, it doesn't mean they're any less of a man or, or whatever, it just means that they're human. Um, you know, we all have our little issues that we need to overcome, um, but, you know, recovery is possible in, in most cases. And even if it's not possible, you can still work on things like changing mindset and changing and improving, I guess, your situation to a point that you can maximize, I guess, control of of how you're feeling and, and, and acting as well. I love it. Thanks so much, Simon. No worries. Thanks for so much for uh, having me come on. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled and peace out.